Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moisel, and these are the women who rule. Welcome back to She Dynasty. Today, we will be speaking to Donna Lamar, the Global Executive Creative Director at Twitter. Donna has been honored as one of the top 33 creative women in advertising by Business Insider and as a top women executive by Black Enterprise. Notably, her work has been awarded at The One Show, Cannes, The Cleos, and The Andes. Hi, Donna. Hello. How are you? I'm good, and you? I'm good. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So have you ever done a podcast before? I absolutely have never done a podcast before. I love that. I love being people's first podcast. Definitely something common that you share with a lot of women on She Dynasty. So thank you again for being here. So before we get started, as you know, She Dynasty is so much about your journey and you are the global creative director at Twitter. And that's a pretty awesome job. So I want to hear all about how you got there, your journey to get there. I want to hear about your childhood. Where were you born? Where are you from? Uh, I was born in Missouri, so I was born in the show me state, and apparently my personality is that apparently you always have to show me something for me to actually agree or understand or learn. Okay, Uh, explain why. I'm a very visual learner. Oh, me too. So I like to see, um, and I'm a lot in my head, so I conceptualize a lot of things, but I need to see it to internalize it, I think. Mm -hmm. And also, I just like to see it because I love options. Um, So let's talk a little bit before we jump into what it means to be um, a visual learner, because I consider myself a very visual learner. I think in visuals, and a lot of people don't understand what that means. How would you describe what that means? I think, well, I see in visuals. For me, because I am an avid reader and have always been, my imagination is always at play. So whatever it is that I'm seeing I'm attaching a story to, mm-hmm. however small. And so in order for me to retain or understand or remember something, I have to have a story that goes with it, and I need to be able to see that story. I would have answered that question exactly the same way. It's all about storytelling, right, and how you kind of visualize the story coming to life. Very interesting. All right, so going back to your childhood, are you an only child? Do you have siblings? I have three brothers. I'm very much not an only child. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes. Are I you the youngest or oldest? I have three brothers. I'm the oldest. Um, and I am supposedly the most responsible, but that is not true. But we're all pretty creative. We're a really close family. Awesome. So were you a very creative child? No, actually. I mean, I wasn't a creative child for what people thought of as creative back in the day. Um, I was a very quiet, introspective child, and I was a tomboy. Okay. So I was very motivated by sports and action and movement, but I read a lot. Um, My brothers, on the other hand, all of them are really good artists. They can all draw and uh, paint and these types of things, which I literally cannot do. Yeah, there's a misconception that just because you're a creative director means that you can draw. It doesn't mean that at all. I 100% cannot draw. Perspective is a a problem for me. Awesome. So tell me, what kind of student were you? I was an okay student. I think I was a solid B plus student. Uh, I made straight A's once or twice and realized how heavy of a burden it is to keep them. And I just didn't want the pressure, even though I could have done it, but I could have done it and it would have been the at the expense of like fun. Right. And for me, I'd rather have fun. What did you think that you wanted to do when you were in high school? Um, I wanted to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist when I was in in high school. Maybe I also actually wanted to act. 
until I did a lot of stage, and then I realized I actually like the behind-the-scenes part Mm -hmm. more than the actual acting part. Yeah, it's always really interesting to ask that question because so many women end up in such a different place um, in their careers than what they thought they were going to be. And I think there's such a pressure right now for people in high school to know what they want to be when they grow up and to be on the track. There's no changing it. I have a 16-year-old daughter, so she feels this like huge pressure to know who she's going to be when she grows up. And I keep talking to so many different women on She Dynasty that really in high school thought it was going to be one thing and ended up somewhere so, so different. And I think that's healthy because I, my niece, who's now out of college, while she was in college, if she didn't have an internship, she felt like she was falling behind. And she had an internship every semester. She had a job every semester. There's the pressure of being socially relevant. I mean, I think there's far too much pressure on just people in general, but young women specifically, I think there's a lot of pressure and I don't know what we can do about it, but I think having to know who you're going to be and what you're going to be in high school and some and in college even. It's crazy. It's crazy and it's stifling. Right. And I think it actually cuts you off from actually understanding who or what you are really going to be. Totally. So where did you go to college? I went to Texas Tech uh-huh. University, which is in Lubbock, Texas. I was very much into theater and... Um, I was into the arts. My father, I mean, I had that typical sort of, hey, you can be an engineer. My father was an engineer. But really, my parents were, you can be whatever you want to be. We fully support whatever that is. And so for me, that discovery came from working in the theater. I thought that's what I wanted to do when I got to college. But when I got to college and could choose my coursework and understood that producers, as I now understand what producers are, people who craft story and craft the experience, I was more interested in that. Right. Interesting. I understand that you also used to run track. Is <laughs> that did. Was that in high school or college? <laughs> I was in high school and a first year in college. That's one of my regrets, actually. Right. You actually quit. I quit. Tell which, us why. Because I was young and ridiculous. Um, but mostly I quit because I felt that there was so much pressure and also a little bit of ego, to be honest. I was good at track and the whole time and I'd run since I was like six and it the longer I ran so the more I progressed and the better I got the less fun it became right because there's the pressure always to place and win and it was not an external pressure I mean it was an internal pressure because it was quite good when I was running and I enjoyed it but it was a lot of pressure the track coach at the time her name was Jarvis Scott our agreement was you have to walk on, you have to make the team, and then we can talk about whether or not you get a scholarship. And so at the end of the year, I went to her at the end of the track year. And I was like, so I did pretty well, um, so can we talk about my scholarship? And she said, yes, you don't get one. Oh, no. That wasn't the answer you were expecting. No, it made me really angry. And I was like, what do you mean? I've done everything that you ask me to do and she said no you're not serious so what did you learn from that woman in that moment looking back it was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it helped me understand that when you want something or when you commit to something you commit to something and you want it and you have to prioritize okay so let's move forward so um after college first job so i guess my first job after college i worked at Saatchi and Saatchi. Mm-hmm. And what was your role there? I was a 
traffic manager, I mm-hmm. think that's what they called it, mm-hmm. a broadcast traffic manager, which I didn't actually understand what that meant. But but you took the job. But I took the job because... Because it, it was in a field that you were interested in. I took the job because it was in a field that I was interested in, and also because by then I understood after having gone to school, because I went directly to graduate school, and got a major in communications, but I specialized in broadcast advertising. Mm-hmm. And then I understood at that point in time that I wanted to make commercials. Right. And so Saatchi and Saatchi had this broadcast traffic manager position. Right. And I thought that must be close to being able to make commercials, so I took the job. So that's that's actually a really good kind of learning moment for people who are starting out in their careers. Um, you know, foot in the door, even though it's not the right job, obviously can lead you to the path that you want to be on. So when you took the job, you knew it wasn't a creative role, but you knew it was in the environment that you wanted to be in. Is that correct? That's correct. Awesome. I was in that role for three months. And then what happened? Well, somewhere in that three months, like maybe two months in, I finally met a producer, Linda Kaufman, and I had a conversation with her one night because broadcast traffic at that point in time was like literally taking the reels and the artwork and everything from department to department and getting sign off and all of that sort of thing. She's like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm new. I do this, blah, 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 blah. I was like, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I'm a producer here. And I was like, oh, and what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And she broke it all down. And I was like, oh, I would actually like to do what you do. Wow. Did she give you a chance? Like two weeks later, maybe three weeks later, I was sitting in front of HR and they were like, you are being transferred to um, Linda Kaufman as a production assistant. Wow. So she didn't even ask you, you learned from HR. I think so. And I mean, I had a fall. I mean, of course, then I went and spoke to her and it was kind of a, it caused a little bit of a kerfuffle because that's not how things are normally done. Right. But um, but she saw something in you. She did. She gave me, Linda Kaufman gave me my very first chance. We love you, Linda Kaufman, if you're going to listen to this. We do. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's a, a really important point that sometimes one conversation can shift your entire kind of path and journey and perspective. And so it, it is important to talk to people within your organization and tell them what your passions are and what you want to do. Because sometimes somebody will see something in you and figure out how to be a champion for you to help you get there. Absolutely. Okay, so from there, you went to White and Kennedy in Amsterdam. How did you make that shift? (laughs) That was funny. I had been working in advertising, and I sort of felt like I had sort of tapped out and wanted to be a documentary filmmaker or do something that had a little more meaning, Mm -hmm. I think, personal meaning and value. Mm -hmm. Um, So I quit. Did you quit without having another job? I have done that so often, yes. It seems to be my thing. That's very brave. Well, I don't know. I I think it's impetuous. (laughs) It's really more what it is. Um, I finally understand at this point in my career that I understand that whatever decision I make, I'm responsible for, and I will be able to make it right. So I can quit without a job because I understand that I need to make it work. Right. And it may not work in the way that I want it to or envision it, but that's okay because that's me accepting responsibility for my decision. And if you look at it or if I look at it that way, there is no wrong decision. It's just the decision you make. Love it. It's a very kind of zen way of looking at things. It works. It works. Some good advice. So tell us about your time at Wyden Kennedy in Amsterdam. That was great. I mean, like, because I went supposedly for six weeks and then like six years later, 
I came back six and a half years later. You lived um, there for six and a half years. Yeah, like six years. Wonderful. Widening Kennedy was the best experience I think I've had in my career is in terms of enabling me to really understand what it's like and what it means to be creative. Mm-hmm. So, so was, what was your role there? Ultimately. I was head of I was head of production. Head of production. So you also did something really interesting while you were there. You started a poetry collective. Tell us about that. I did. That was fun. Me and two other women um, started uh, Palabras, which is, um, well, it's poetry. It was poetry nights. And what we would do, because we collectively met each other in very interesting ways. So when I went to Amsterdam, I was writing and interested in all that stuff. And I went to some night where they had this kind of open poetry night. So I met Bob's. And she is a woman who inspired me because she was the woman, I think, on stage reading from her poetry book at this small poetry night. And I went up to her, and I think I said that to her. I was like, oh, it was really nice performance. Mm-hmm. It was mostly in Dutch, so I don't even know how I knew that. But um, we met later and had, like, a cup of tea. And she was kind of really my first or one of the first friends that I had outside of my expat community. Mm-hmm. And we decided that we wanted to do our own spoken word nights because they were happening in Amsterdam, but they were happening kind of haphazardly without any Mm -hmm. form, shape, or direction. And so we put together palabras and we started going to squats. And we put out flyers and found poets. And Are you a poet? I used to be a poet. I don't know if you can continue to be a poet. I don't know. Uh, But I used to write quite a lot of poetry and um so you would actually get up and, and i would also perform perform which was always nerve-wracking for me but it helped me understand the energy and the flow between the performer and the audience right and i never actually saw myself as a performer that's the other thing that time in amsterdam helped me understand that i actually had something to say interesting so you shifted from head of production at White and Kennedy to creative director at Shiat Day, which was a big shift. Um, so you moved from being in production to actually being a creative, which yes. is different. Uh, very. How did that come about? Well, another one of those fortuitous moments. So I had worked with Jimmy Smith as a producer. One day while I was living in London, I got a call from Jimmy and he was the GCD at Gatorade mm. at Shia Day. And he asked me to come and uh, be his head of production Okay. on Gatorade. Okay. So similar role. Similar role. Okay. And at that time I was freelancing and I had done a trailer and tried to sell a Scrabble documentary to the BBC. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing a bunch of other kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I said to him very flippantly, I don't do that anymore. If you want to make it interesting for me, uh, why don't you make me a creative? And I just kind of said that. I didn't mean it. I just tossed it out in the world. And he um, took you up on it. And he did because like several weeks later, I got a call from Shiat Day Human Resources. Wow, this happened again. I'm starting to and, see a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, um, can I have your resume? And we wow. need this information from you. And I was like, who is this? That is and the best way to shift careers. <laughs> I love that. I love when someone just sees something in you and gives you the opportunity. I mean, it's you seem very blessed that some people have seen some really amazing kind of light coming from you and giving you that opportunity to shine. I do feel blessed. And I think 100% that's what happened because I did call Jimmy back and I was like, what's going on? 
And he's like, well, you said you wanted to be a creative. So what uh, was your title when you took the job? ACD. That was a surprise, too, when I showed up, just so you know. I was like, I'm a, I'm a what? Wow, you uh, skipped a few steps there. I, um, I did. And for those listening who don't know, that means associate creative director. Yes. I have always believed that everyone is creative. And I have always felt that the advertising industry specifically creates boxes in isolation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fair. And good ideas come from everywhere. And I agree. Um, I don't think it's cool to... I think that's one of the pet peeves that some of my creatives have at my agency is that I allow good ideas to come from any department. Sometimes they feel like people need to kind of do what they're hired to do, but I don't look at it that way. I think if somebody has a great idea, I want to listen. I want to hear it. Yeah. It is crazy to believe that you own creativity. I love that. That needs to be our quote from her. (laughs) Yes, I agree with you. Okay, so I'm going to jump forward. So now you're at Twitter as the global executive creative director. But before that, you actually left Twitter to go work for Vice and then came back. Why did you make that decision? So Vice was in my top five places to work. Um, It's kind of a dream job. Yeah, I was like, boy. And I was given an opportunity um, to go work at Vice. So what was your original job at Twitter when you first took the role? I was creative director at Twitter. Okay. I went to Vice as group creative director. Okay. And then I came back to Twitter as like their global executive creative director. So Beautiful. So what does it mean to be the global creative director at Twitter? A lot of people are asking, does that mean Twitter has its own in-house advertising agency that markets itself? Or what exactly does it mean? That's a good question because I'm still sorting that out because it's changed. Like it changed a lot in the year that I was gone. Mm Mm-hmm. So it does have its own in-house agency. We have really good talent. We service our, we have our, we call them client partners. So Mm -hmm. we, because there are many different lines of businesses Mm -hmm. at Twitter. So we service their needs. Um, And then we also, I work with making sure that the brand shows up consistently across whatever it is that we're doing. And you do that globally. And I do that globally, yes. So... Is it difficult for you to kind of um, have a different understanding of different markets around the world and how the brand is perceived? Is that something that you've had to master or something you continually to work on? It's what I'm. It's something that I'm working on, and we're also. I'm, I'm working on the brand right now, mm-hmm. like what the brand is going to look like. Is it changing? I don't know. When is this podcast coming? Out? <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret. You heard it here first. <laughs> so at some point, it will evolve. Yes. And so so do you have to, obviously you have to do different things for different markets around the world. Yes, we do. It's not Um, one size fits all. It's not one size fits all. I mean, for the most part, I will have to say that our, our local or regional offices are so good. Like they really understand their markets. And so when they come, it's more of a conversation Mm -hmm. about what they're doing that perhaps we could benefit from, to be honest. I love that. When you are given the autonomy to make your own decisions and just everybody's kind of happy because they're doing the things that are working for their their offices and my role is just to make sure that the tone and the personality and those sort of things you have to stay true to the brand you have to make sure everyone's kind of rowing in the same direction yeah so how big is your team well it fluctuates right now we're at around 85 wow people that's a lot of people to manage it's that's just here or that's globally that's here Wow. It's a big responsibility. Yes. I'm glad I didn't understand that. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, I'm really curious. Tell me about your leadership style. Well, I'm learning. I'm 
totally learning that uh, I have to have a little more structure. I'm actually very structured because I used to be a producer. Uh Um, Comes with the territory. It does. Um, But I also, what I have been doing prior to Twitter is, and I am still doing at Twitter, frankly, is I don't think that you can lead effectively until you know the people that you are leading. Mm -hmm. So I've spent the last eight months meeting everyone. Getting to know them. Getting to know them, understanding what the pain points, that's a Twitter word, understanding pain points and uh, what works, what what people want, you know, like, because sometimes your goal is an external goal to the company or the position that you're in. Mm-hmm. And so my goal is to always help you actually reach your personal goal. Because if you're on a track to your best boss. personal goal, then whatever you're doing mm-hmm. internally is going to reflect that. Absolutely. So do you can consider yourself a tough boss? Do you have high expectations? Or do you kind of let people work things out on their own pace? I have high expectations, but I let people work things out. And I should probably actually be tougher because the feedback that I've gotten from my team indirectly, um, which I own, is that they want me to be more decisive and less collaborative. Oh, interesting. That's a that's a good piece of feedback for a boss or for a leader. Yeah, I was like, is that I, something you struggle with? Because you just want to get in and be part of the team and help them figure things out. Um, kind. Of, I struggle with it because they're too, and I'm working on this. I think I recognize personally that I want to please people or I want a very harmonious environment and I want everything to be nice. Mm -hmm. But conflict is conflict and all conflict is not bad conflict. Mm -hmm. And in order to actually get beyond nice, because I do also want an amazing, I have a really high bar, Mm -hmm. you have to address the things that need to be addressed. And I try to sort out ways to make sure that everyone is happy. Mm-hmm. And that's literally not ever going to happen. Yeah, that's a very hard, tall order. And I get wrapped up sometimes in, because I have taken the time to understand what everyone wants and to get to know them. Right. So it's all very personal. I need to take a step back and just say, this is what we're doing. And if you don't get what you want now, it'll change later. So I'm sure you'll get it then. Mm-hmm. So ask everyone to commit you don't have to agree with where we're going, but commit to commit where we're to going. That's good advice. So I know, um, and I think it was end of last year, uh, Twitter came out with uh, an actual advertising campaign um, where it was in iMetros, where they put up mm. kind of what it was like to be on Twitter versus other social platforms. Yeah. Was that um, part of your team that did that? It was. That was fun. The idea of it is because we were looking at strategy and who we are and our positioning in the market. Mm -hmm. Who are we relative to Facebook Mm -hmm. and Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Um, So our company, like we are, Twitter is what's happening in the world and what people are talking about right now. That's okay. That's true. Uh, But people would ask us, why should I be on Twitter? Mm -hmm. Because that's what Twitter is. Right. Well, it's interesting because I think that, you know, the, the three big platforms are, are very, very different. You know, Instagram is so much of look how great my life is, yeah. right? Curated right. reality. And Facebook is kind of look at my family. Twitter is let's talk and debate in real time. Or okay. let's go fact check and see if something's true right now. Yeah, or just... Does that seem right? Conversation. Yeah, conversation. Twitter is conversation. Like right. it's the only platform that you can actually have a conversation with yeah. whoever you want to, right. assuming... Other platforms try to do it, but it's not the same. It's no. There's just like a fluidity that happens on Twitter. 
Mm-hmm. When you have to be kind of the, you know, the visionary behind kind of the brand message, can you articulate in like a simple sentence of, or two what it is that you're trying to protect or what, what the brand vision is? Because Twitter is a conversational platform, and it's also real time, but other platforms are real time too, but it's real time in an authentic, uncurated space and way. Twitter, this is what I've been saying, we shouldn't advertise Twitter. We should just be Twitter. Right. And that might put you out of a job though. <laughs> <laughs> well I'm kidding. Maybe, but but what it means is like the way we look and feel and sound and show up in the world mm-hmm. should represent what's actually happening on the platform. Absolutely. And Can so that's what we're working, that's what we've moved to. That's like sort of me on Twitter and those campaigns. That's sort of the foundational work for if we're not advertising what are we doing? We're right. just showing how people, we are just basically highlighting and amplifying the voices and the people on the platform in their authentic way. Agreed. So I'm not sure if this question's allowed, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How has the president's Twitter account helped or hurt Twitter? Well, I don't think it's helped Twitter. Um, and then I have to say, this is my own personal opinion. This is not opinions of Twitter of or course. anything or anybody at Twitter or anything like that. Because I've had a lot of time to think about it because it is sort of a singular question. Of course, it's hard to not associate the brand with it right now. Right. It's just that this particular, I mean, the president of the United States has always had a Twitter account. Right. It's just that this particular one uses it more than not, and he uses it as a way to basically talk about whatever it is he's thinking about at any given second. So it hasn't hurt Twitter But it also hasn't helped Twitter because Twitter, the platform is for everyone Mm -hmm. and all sides of a story. And I've had countless people ask me, why don't we turn off his account? What's the answer? Well, A, we can't. He's the president of the United States. I mean, we could, I guess, technically, but why would we? Right. You know what I mean? Like, Then you're censoring people. We are censoring people and it goes against what the whole platform is. Mm -hmm. And also, we elected him. And I'm saying we, the right. collected we. And that's how not he communicates. me. But we collect, I mean, we elected him. It's not Twitter's responsibility to fix something that was a collective decision. decision. Agreed. Okay, I'm going to move on to some snags in your career. So you hit um, a point where you felt like you were professionally betrayed by someone that you really trusted. Tell us um, about that moment and what it did to you. Um, aside from like making me really sad because I was very sad about that um, and still am to a certain degree, it helped me realize and understand because I think I was naively loyal, if that makes sense. Um, I felt like everyone must have my own internal sort of moral compass. And it's not always true in business. It's not true in business, um, or it's just not true. You know, everybody has their own agenda, their own thing, right? And it also helped me see that I was, I have some responsibility in that because had I been actually paying attention and not blindly following or being blindly loyal, and so I take responsibility for that. And that's literally what came from that situation was that I was able to understand my role in my own narrative and in my own life. And that if I didn't take control and it's not even actually, I take that back. It's not about taking control. It's about being honest 
So do you find yourself to be less loyal now because you learned something from that experience? No, I'm not less loyal, but I'm more uh, honest with myself about what's actually happening. Maybe a little bit more cautious? More more cautious and also very clearly state what it is that what, what I'm here ex- for. What the expectations yeah, this are. Is, this is what I'm love that. This is what I'm here for and if this is not happening then I'm perhaps not the right person or this is what I see that is going on and you can spin it just being really however true to who you, you are want it to be and but, what you want it to be. Yeah. Okay. You also mentioned that one time you were told by a man that you were overzealous because you questioned <laughs> him. Tell yes. us about that incident. That was pretty early days, but I was out of college and working and and I was probably overzealous, but in a very positive way. But um, I was doing a, a sort of freelance project for this guy. I brought him options because I've already mentioned I love options. And I was like, look, we could do this or we could do this. Or here's another way of looking at it because I feel this. Thin. And he was just, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like literally the caricature of whoa, whoa, right. whoa. Right. This is too much. You're just being too overzealous. And I was like, what? We're just having a conversation about your business and how and do you think he would have made that comment if you were a man i'm 100 percent sure he wouldn't have right the double standard (laughs) like he would not i mean it was literally like what are you doing i mean he essentially is like i make the decisions i was like right that's why i'm bringing you choices Okay, well, I think um, I think you've answered a lot of my questions. I want to move into what we call our rapid-fire questions, where I'm just going to ask you um, some quick questions, and you're just going to answer in one or two words. Okay. It's, you know, just whatever comes to your mind. Okay, so what does success mean to you? Um, I would say a sandy beach, a surfboard, and uh, an ability to tell long-format st- stories visually. What keeps you up at night? Org structure. (laughs) (laughs) If you could completely switch careers, what would you do? I would become a movie director. Oh, interesting. Okay. What do you think the biggest challenge facing women is today? Uh, I would say that for women today, the biggest challenge is that we make opportunities for ourselves and the industry is willing to give us some and I think we feel like we've made progress so we stop and so then the next time we need something we have to start all over again mm, we don't and we push have forward to, yes we have to defeat the narrative of like then the narrative becomes you we gave you this right which is not the right narrative no one gave us you know we made right. the opportunity so I think Asking for what you want, which I think it will be continually be one for us, but also once we we make a way for ourselves to continue making a way rather than feeling like over. we've have we've gotten there and so then have to start over. What one piece of work are you most proud of that you've created? Um, it's the piece of work that I made um, when I was I made a short film and I made it for um, Motion Poem, which is an organization who puts visuals to poetry oh wow where can we see it well it's on their website i think i don't know if it's still there because now it's a couple years old but it's on my website oh we can put a link to it so people can watch it yeah yeah i would love that it's the piece of work that i'm most proud of because it's the piece of work that i was told i couldn't do oh okay what's what's the subject matter i saw read an article or something about women muslim women who surf 
in Iran. And I wanted to go to Iran, which I didn't do because there's all kinds of issues with that. Um, But I was kind of told by some production partners that I had at the time that this subject matter wasn't viable. It was too costly, Mm -hmm. like all of the reasons not to do it and that I should be doing something else. Sounds really interesting. So you did it. So I did it anyway. I just did it. I just did it on my own. Good for you. I called my friends and just was like, I need help. And I just did it. Like I would love to do it now again, now that I have hindsight and information. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. But I am very proud of it because I got it done and it's a poem and. Beautiful. I can't wait to check that out. If you had to give your younger self one great piece of advice, what would it be? It would be, well, the advice that I would give women. It's like instead of stopping to facilitate everyone else's needs, which is what I still do and I'm working on not doing it quite so much, go for the thing that you want to do. It is better to start on your goal and go for your goal when you're younger than to put it off mm-hmm. because if you pursue it it will happen but you have to like righteously pursue it mm-hmm. and it will happen what's your favorite twitter account <laughs> my favorite twitter account <laughs> oh man i don't know i'm gonna say right now there's this young woman that works for me her name is jessica willis and her she changed her handle to bad spanish mm-hmm. because she's trying to learn spanish okay and so We'll have to check her out. You should check her out because now she posts in Spanish. and But basically, she uses her account to learn Spanish. So now she has, like, friends and people. Teaching her. Teaching her. Oh, that's a really interesting and innovative way to use Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. She's, Love that. She's pretty awesome, actually. Where do you see yourself going next? Well, what I would hope to do, and maybe Twitter people are listening to this, uh, what I'd like to do is continue the Build Studio out and start looking at the platform as a source of, um, as content and development mm-hmm. so that we can tell and highlight those stories because there are millions of those stories on the platform yeah. and people are infinitely interesting. And sure. um, I just want to go beyond sort of where we are now because I think there's a lot of innovation and a lot of um, like stories and goodness to be mined. Okay. All right. Well, I think you have answered all of my questions. I so, so appreciate you taking the time to do this today. I appreciate Twitter letting you come here today. I don't know (laughs) if they know you're here, but um, really, really appreciate. I've learned a lot today. Um, You're such a thoughtful person and I love, love your energy. It's actually very soothing. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you again for having me. Absolutely. It's been fun. 